Hello, I'm Marcia Simone Cadogan from Canon Bridges Consulting Inc. Welcome to our podcast series on where we spotlight innovators in the cultural and creative industries. What types of issues, which policies, what types of global developments are relevant to building sustainability in the creative sector? And where do creators fit into this paradigm? Paradigm. Today, I'm talking with Aaron Estrich. He's a musician, he's a recording artist, and a songwriter, and he's from Toronto, Canada. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. It's really great having you here. Thank you so much for having me, Marsha. Awesome. Now, uh, I have a few questions for you, and I'm just so glad that you were able to, to participate in this podcast. So I'll just start off. Uh, by you telling you know our listeners more about yourself what aspects of the music industry are you involved in and how long have you been in the space oh gosh all right let's see what aspects am i involved in um this is a fun question for me because i am kind of a jack of all trades so i find myself in a lot of different spaces um Primarily, I am an artist, uh, so like in the creative process, mm -hmm. that's mostly what, like that's where I sit the most, or at least most ideally. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm also a producer, which means that as well as being in the front, in the forefront of things, I'm also more on the back end in that sense. Um, I've learned, I've been doing a lot of like. Uh, production work and engineering especially over the course of the pandemic because there have been fewer gigs to perform at and all that fun stuff mm -hmm. but then I'm also a like a cover singer like I perform at weddings and all of those kinds of corporate events etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. and I DJ as well so I'm all over the place really <laughs> I cover a lot of bases great that's mm -hmm. good that's very diverse that's awesome and, you know, I'd really like to know more about the difference between being a producer and a musician, uh, not only in terms of what's involved, but also, uh, you know, in terms of, is there usually some agreement between you and the musician? And uh, what part of the take do you end up getting? I'm always curious about those little back end stuff, but you don't, you don't need to share that today because, you know, just, that's just something that popped well, in I, mean, my mind. I, can, I can totally give you like a little like Cliff's Notes version of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, basically, uh, the difference between when I am, it's the role is a little bit different between artist and producer because um, it's kind of like when you are the producer, you're playing the support role more than anything else. So um, when you're the artist, uh, it's about whatever your vision is, to, uh, at least for the most part. Um, it's very focused on what you had in mind for whatever song you have, uh, your vision, your goals, the direction you want things to go in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the producer uh, does a lot of facilitating okay. of those things, so it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of trying to make so that trying to make it so that the um the artist 
the artist's vision is coming through. Okay. So myself, when I do when I do both sides of the job for myself, obviously it goes very well. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, but then there's also other clients that I have where it's a little bit more challenging because they don't necessarily have all of the information to say, oh, well, you know, uh, I want there to be an 808 here or I want there to be like, oh, I feel like I want the high end of this particular instrument to come down because it's clashing with my vocal or something like that. They don't have the vocabulary to say that. So a lot of the time they'll just be like, something sounds weird. And then it's my job to figure out what sounds weird and how to make it not sound weird. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's uh, kind of difference. Uh, you, as far as cuts go, it does tend to become about 50-50. I know that when I work with um, the producer, uh, the main producer and owner of my little indie label, mm-hmm. um, Anthony Wright, when we work together, it's 50-50. Okay. Uh, and I usually just do songwriting and all of that fun stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. That's, that's very interesting. That's good to know. Mm. Yeah. So you just mentioned that you're also a songwriter. What yes. mo- What motivates you to compose music? What motivates me to compose music? Um, that is a question that I would expect to have been able to answer by now. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very, the only thing that I can think of to answer that question that isn't just like gonna sound like super out there and Mm -hmm. like very like ethereal, like, you know, the sky, the sky enlightens me and like every now and then like the moon or the sun or whatever like Mm -hmm. weird effervescent thing it's not really what it is for me um (laughs) i do you have you ever heard the named uh edmund hillary no i would imagine tell me more so sir edmund hillary is the dude the first dude to ever uh successfully climb mount everest at least on record ah okay um, and he popularized a quote that was made by another man about 30 years before. And it was in reference to someone asking him why he climbed Mount Everest. And his answer was, because it's there. Mm-hmm. And that's the only real answer that I've got. Okay. <laughs> like, well, I can do it and yeah. it sounds good. So I do it. <laughs> that's okay. So it's more like, uh, so it's more like a challenge or something to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that I can continue to get better at. And I think that that's my favorite thing about music in general is that um, you can do it for a very long time and never reach the pinnacle of it. Even if you really, even if you were to become like, a legend like if you were to be star status like a stevie wonder or a beyonce or like an aretha franklin or like somebody you could be massive but you still have to practice every day and you still have to learn all the new techniques if you want to stay up to date and if you want to uh make sure that you can be relevant and you have to find out what's happening in current music and see if you can 
incorporate that into what you're doing and there's artists who are fantastic at it and there are artists who are terrible at it and there's artists who don't care to do it and all of these things and it's just very interesting and like expansive <laughs> and mm -hmm. continually challenging and it's a thing that I can wake up and um compete with myself against like day after day so and I'm okay. very competitive so that's always a plus for me <laughs> mm, okay that's good you're a developer of creative content mm -hmm. what impacts your creativity the most because it's not just songwriting that you do it's so much more it is, it is. And um, <laughs> what impacts my creative ability deadlines <laughs> that's being realistic that's, that's a good one clients deadlines certainly those um honestly i said that jokingly but it is a lot more true than i than i'm giving it a mm -hmm. fair shake of right now um because a lot of the time i'm very like i can be kind of hot and cold with it like sometimes it's coming and sometimes it's not as far as like creative and inspiration and all of that fun stuff um but when it's not my project and when it's not my when i'm doing that support role right um then there's a little bit of added like a little extra push going because it's like well this isn't my thing like i can flake yeah. on my music all i want because mm -hmm. the only person who gets annoyed with me is me mm. um but when it's uh for instance um my girlfriend's name is sasha l henry she's a phenomenal singer and um like three to four times the singer i am easily mm. um, <laughs> and and she will hound me <laughs> about her projects because she wants them out mm -hmm. and absolutely she should because i'm working for her and um when it's things like that when it's other people's projects and it's other people's visions and other people's desires that they want to be fulfilled well then it's like well then the days that i don't really feel like it I can muster a little bit more up if it's on somebody else's behalf sometimes. Um, and then beyond that, um, I really like writing prompts and like general, like prompts in general. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, there is this idea that inspiration is like this completely organic lightning strike moment where you know, I was on a walk and suddenly something hit me like a ton of bricks and I had to stop everything and sit down right there on the street and pull out a guitar app on my phone and write a whole song. And that's not true, at least all of the time. Um, there are times when that's true. There's times when you jump out of your sleep and struggle to hold on to the words that you just thought of long enough to write it down before it becomes you know dream things um but then there's also times when you haven't had any weird 
out-of-body experiences that give you the perfect handful of song lyrics, the perfect melody line, and you kind of just have to pick a thing to write about and then write about it and then see if you like it. Huh. I've done that a lot. Um, I've done that more often than not, frankly speaking. Um, I have projects that are, like, um, my most recent, like, um, multi-song project that I released like an EP in 2019 is called Sank and it is a um, it's an EP that is about the five love languages and it's five songs and each of the songs is de is dedicated to one of the love languages mm. and what's the name? It, what's the name Sank, of it? as in C-I-N-Q Sank uh, okay. French for five <laughs> um, but yeah so that project was entirely prompts. <laughs> like, I, I sat there and I said, ooh, words of affirmation. I need a song for words of affirmation. And then I wrote that and I said, ooh, I need a song for physical touch. And I wrote that and then I said, ooh, I need a song for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah, and that was how I did it. And I really like all of those songs. Um, and then I also have songs where somebody said jokingly to me that I should write a song about, actually, my most recent release that I actually released this past Monday. Um, so it's available on all the major streaming services whenever this is heard. Oh, great. Uh, is a song called Medusa. And Medusa is a song that I wrote and actually recorded a long time ago, but re-recorded very recently with better better quality, better equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Medusa was a song that came about from an inside joke uh, that me and a friend made after a gig. Um, I told him that I was trying to write an EP based on Greek mythology or something like that. And we were sitting there and we were brainstorming through, just running through random Greek mythology things. And he was like, Cyclops. And I was like, I can't write a song about a Cyclops, that's stupid. And he was like, uh, Jason and the Argonauts. I was like, that's way too complicated. Nobody's mm. gonna care about that. Um, I don't know, uh, Persephone. And I was like, you're being, you know too much about Greek mythology. We need to simplify. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then eventually he was like, uh, Medusa. And I was like, now hold on a second. <laughs> And we sat there after this, literally after a performance that we had just both been paid for. And we were just like, it's like everybody's like packing up and everything like that. And we're just like fooling around playing, I'm playing the guitar and he's like whispering Medusa underneath it. And we're just being like entire, we're just goofing off and just being ridiculous. And eventually I was like, but you know, this is a good song. <laughs> And, yeah. then I went home, and then I went home and wrote it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I recorded it. Um, you know, Aaron, some really of the most popular songs have actually it been, you know, originated in that way. Mm -hmm. Very spontaneous. Yeah, certainly. And it's just like you... I feel like when people... Like, people like to box inspiration in a bit and make it that thing where it has to appear out of thin air to you. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't inspiration. And I think that when you do that, you limit the quality and like the quantity of things that you can create if you 
allow more things to qualify as being inspiration. Like if you allow an internet writing prompt, <laughs> shoot, like a internet to qualify as being inspiration, then that's inspiration. And then you can be inspired a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I suppose I would say that is what uh, affects my creative process the most is other people's deadlines and then however I can find inspiration. Yeah. So what I'm getting from you so far is, you know, it, it's not just about talent, but then you also have to be creative. And a part of that is also being innovative in what you do and the songs you write, what you think about and how you do it and who you collaborate with. And there also appears to be, based on what you've said, uh, needed some, you know, good management skills or organization skills in terms of knowing what to do and when to do and even who to do it with. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Particularly who to do it with. <laughs> um, what to do and when to do it are also incredibly important. Um, who to do it with, I think, might be the most important. Um, simply because when you're doing something, when you're creating something, regardless of whatever it is you're creating, it could be a song, it could be an apple pie, it doesn't really matter. Um, you need another person who gets it, who understands what you're trying to do. And if you don't, then it ultimately won't work, right? Sure. Yeah. If, it's, if you want to make an apple pie, and the person who you're working with uh, goes into the cupboard and pulls out a bunch of peaches. Well, you didn't understand what we were trying to get accomplished here, did you? <laughs> and <laughs> everything else could be right, but if you bring out the wrong fruit, well, then I can't make a great pie. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is a, like, a vitally important thing when it comes to that. Um, I also think that you touched on something particularly when you mentioned uh, it being about more than talent. Mm -hmm. um, I've found talent to be more or less irrelevant. <laughs> um, not irrelevant. That's not quite fair. Um, I've found it to be over, it's overrated. Talent is overrated. And I can say that as a talented mm -hmm. person. It's overrated. Um, skill is far more useful. Mm. Uh, because a talent is, you know, you can have an affinity for a thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it might give you a certain leg up over certain people in the initial stages of learning a thing. Uh, but skill is when you devotedly learn how to effectively do a thing over and over again right right it's like a talented person can sing a song get wrapped up in the moment and hit a high note that sounds really great 
a skilled person can hit the same note every time regardless of whether they're wrapped up in it or not or whether they've had a good day or a bad day it's less variable yeah that makes a big difference and i've noticed that especially as somebody who frankly speaking is talented and has been talented for most of my life and spent a decent bit of my like earlier years leaning on being talented and being like, oh, I'm fine. And then watching people who were just skilled pass me. Uh. Did the work. Instead of being like, oh, I'm good enough at this. I got it. Because in personal experience, talent makes you lazy. Because talent lets you, <laughs> talent says that, well, I'm going to get this easy anyway, so I don't have to apply myself in particular. Mm -hmm. Without anything else, it, it doesn't make, it's not sustainable. Precisely. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Talent is like the same, talent is like that, inspir that idea of inspiration where it's like a lightning bolt, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a powerful stroke of lightning happens once in a blue moon and might never hit the same place again. Skill is electricity. Skill is you turn on the switch and the lights come on and you turn the switch off and the lights go off. Every mm -hmm. now and then you power surge, but skill is the consistent thing. Mm -hmm. and that's also a big part of like when you find a person, when you are looking for people to work with and it's like, the people who you're working with, are they just really talented people? Or are they skilled people? Do they sit there and mm. do work every day to make sure that they're really good at what they do? Mm -hmm. Or are they just like, did they luck out and end up good at what they are doing currently? And how long will that last? Will they burn out? Will they reach a thing that's difficult for them and not know mm -hmm. how to do it? Et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the most talented people who I know, who are also doing really well at what they do, are the ones who added skill to their talent. Talent plus something else. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just a head start. It's like if it was a race. If I don't know if you're watch if you've watched uh, you're watching the uh, Olympics or any of that fun stuff right now. Mm. But I used to run track and. Talent is a good start out the blocks. But that's about all it is. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it might give you a point one difference in your end speed. Yeah, it, that's it a good analogy. Good. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, I, I try. <laughs> I like to use my English uh, <laughs> my English where it applies, which is almost never. So <laughs> Well, you write songs, it applies there. No, it Come absolutely on. applies there, only, right. only, which is funny. It's genuinely a thing that I like mm -hmm. joke about all the time. I was like, hey, I did all the things and I'm like sitting here writing songs. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, you know, we, we've covered a few things, a few points today. And the last question that I have for you, Aaron, is mm -hmm. can you talk about one or two challenges that Canadian musicians face? on their path to becoming success, uh, successful artists? Oh, yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, one thing that I've noticed is a huge problem uh, or a huge challenge, I'll call it. I could also call it a problem, but we'll call it a challenge and we'll be diplomatic about it, um, is the fundamental lack of infrastructure that exists for Canadian music. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just a fundamental lack of uh, infrastructure. There aren't any real, like, huge places to be. Like, there's no Canadian equivalent of the Apollo Theater. There's no Canadian equivalent of Nashville, Tennessee. There's no Canadian equivalent of, certainly of, like, Atlanta. Um, there, like, there are places elsewhere in the continent and elsewhere in the world where uh, they have huge cultural hubs, hmm. and these cultural hubs have been there for a long time, mm -hmm. and they have fostered environments to grow that, that culture because they the place defined itself at some point with that culture and they started to invest in it. Right. Um, Toronto in particular has none of that. Uh, Toronto in particular, and I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Toronto a little more than the rest of like uh, the other like major cities in Canada because Toronto does a very, very good job of presenting itself as being that big cultural hub like it's right. Canada New York or mm -hmm. whatever else right mm -hmm. um, except that it aggressively destroys most of those places there are places that are or would be major cultural like major places where you'd have that kind of a support and a beginnings of infrastructure for a cultural hub to be like fostered and those places get shut down because of ridiculous rent prices or because of gentrification or because of noise complaints from places as a result of gentrification mm. um it's very inter like the the way that, and I'm, I can only imagine how, like, exasperated this problem, like how much, how many, like, <laughs> times worse this problem will be uh, because of the pandemic and all of that fun stuff. Because I've watched, I've seen a dozen posts about a dozen venues, like little venues around the city closed as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and without those places, you don't get to the you don't get to the point where you have a New York or a, or an Atlanta or a Tennessee or a California even. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, not California. You get an an LA. You get what I mean. Um, you and and Toronto very deliberately 
for the sake of I can't imagine anything other than sheer profit of closes down all of these little venues and all of these little places that would you know otherwise foster the arts right in favor of huge developer high-rises mm -hmm. and when that happens well then there's nowhere for the artists to do art things and eventually what used to be the at least could have been a a play like a cultural center like a place where people came together and made art and made music and made food and made culture and all of these things mm. well now it's just a literal concrete jungle of like tall pretty apartment buildings with really rich people living in them and complaining about the bar down the street that's mm. too loud at 2 a.m when bars are loud at 2 a.m Hmm. and things like that and like I said it's worse because of the pandemic but right. that was not the, that was not what started it it's been happening for years before that mm -hmm. between rent hikes and other things like that and it's devastating to watch um, and it's mostly devastating to watch because it's upsetting to watch uh, to sit here as a I'm I turned 30 this year, so I'm 30 years old now. Um, and, oh. it's, <laughs> and it's devastating to watch me and other artists around my age and um, have us all like sit there and look at the city and be like, we're gonna have to go to the States. Like, we're gonna have to go, we're gonna have to go to Atlanta, we're gonna have to go to Cali, we're gonna have to go somewhere. We can't stay here, we can't make a thing we you can't make a thing happen here hmm. and that's why we have some of the hugest names in music coming out of toronto right hmm. now justin bieber is from stratworth he's from stratford but he's all over he was all over toronto uh drake comes to mind very easily um hmm. literally the artist of the decade is com as per uh, billboard i think it was and that's a fair state. That's a fair statement in my mind. Um, Drake is from Toronto. Uh, the weekend is from Toronto. He just did the Super Bowl. Um, like mm -hmm. we have massive, massive party next door. Daniel Caesar, massive, huge award-winning talent coming from this area. Right. And no infrastructure for it. Like no place where anybody if you were to ask any of those people none of them would be able to say oh well I went to this thing and that was really where I got my chops you know mm -hmm. okay or so I went like etc like things like that like I never there's no like oh I went to the Apollo theater and I went there and I bombed and I bombed and eventually I got better and then people started cheering for me and then you know I built my fan base from that okay and particularly with Canada because we are such a small population hmm. um, like it is 36 million of us all together 37 or something like that like the population of California basically mm -hmm. like a single state and it requires a lot of support across 
the country to get the kind of traction necessary to move anything forward as compared to heading over to Atlanta or heading over to Miami or somewhere like that and just like doing the same thing there with people with places that have been established and with places that people respect okay because they weren't just destroyed with rent prices and stuff. Mm -hmm. would you yeah. say it's more you know just right to your point as well would you say it's more institutional support that's needed or just more productive or constructive collaboration between people I would work in the space I would certainly say it's more institutional because I know a lot of people who do a lot of really great things uh, as far as collaborational support and all that stuff there is a phenomenal could not say enough nice things about this organization um, Rise Edutainment that is out of Scarborough and mm -hmm. They are very, if I were to have to ask, if I were to have to bet money on an organization having the ability to become one of those big cultural hubs, mm -hmm. it would be Rise. Okay. My first bet would be Rise. Uh, my second bet would be Blank Canvas, which is a very similar movement coming out of the West End. Okay. Um, but all of these are very like all of the movements that are like this are very grassroots they're very like started by people who are my age or even a little bit younger what's their um, mandate rise edutainment in particular is a collective like it's not it's not quite a collective it's like a community of artists and yeah of, of like general purpose artists uh supporting each other and coming together okay and, you know like just having a space where they can do art and it's very like uh centered around uh black folks and people of color mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a great space it is a fantastic space one of the warmest crowds you will ever perform at uh to the point where uh they might be too warm sometimes you don't do good and they still cheer for you and you're like wow i'm great it's like you if you went to rise mm -hmm. and saw the crowd there you would understand how people get to american idol and think that they can sing ah uh, okay <laughs> you'd be like oh that's how william hung did it because these guys are around <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's more of a support amongst your own peers precisely which is great it is um but that can only go so far yeah because they don't have the resources like they have exactly they don't have the resources that for instance a city or a province or a country has uh, and all of these people while they are able to come together still are individually susceptible to these institutional problems as well so it's like it's all great and well to be like oh yeah well the command like the communities need to get together but well guess what the same gentrification that knocks out the buildings knocks out the communities right like we can't separate we can't act like these things exist in bubbles and it's like oh no it just destroyed the venues but 
you know, the people who live next to the venues, they're all fine. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They're certainly not. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's very, it is a precarious situation. It, I don't think it is unsolvable. Um, I do think that it would require diligent effort on the behalf of um, institutions and government entities to help solve the problem, really by finding places that are already trying to solve the problem and Mm -hmm. helping and supporting them and giving them extra resources, um, which I can kind of see. And it's funny because I see it happening very, very, very slowly, but not quickly enough to um, outweigh, uh, not quickly enough to outdo, rather, how quickly Mm. gentrification happens. Because while policymakers drag their feet trying to do all of these things to, you know, get inner city programs and community centers and et cetera, et cetera, a little bit more money and a little bit more resources, depending on who's in office, well, developers are developing at the same speed every time. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, depending on who's in office, you might get more done, you might get less done. But whoever wants to do the demolishing and the, and the, the, the wow, that was hard to say. Whoever wants to do the demolishing and the developing can do it as quickly as they can get the papers signed. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, 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 it's a little bit different. Precisely. Or there, or we could also say there is a significant contrast in the two areas. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Erin, it's been so great talking to you. Uh, you know, we could even have a longer discussion, uh, except we don't have a lot of time. But I do look <laughs> forward to talking to you more, especially in the video segment of the series. Yes. Is there any last comment that you'd like to make? In regards to uh, your work yes, in the I would. music industry? Uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. I would like to say first and foremost, uh, um, please, 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 if you're listening, check out my music on all the major streaming services. Aaron Ridge, R-I-D-G-E. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd also like to say, um, right around, like around now, during the, I'm, what I'm hoping is like the end times of the pandemic. Um, entertainers are very much eager to work again. I know personally that I have not been doing my favorite parts of my job for the past year and a half. And I know that there are a lot of other people who are just like me who are like, I've been figuring it out and I've been getting along to like going along to get along, but I really love being on a stage and performing for people and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. um so if you have the opportunity and if you have the platform um and if you have the resources um then please instead of playing a song in the background hire a band uh instead of play like having if you have the means to get something like that done if you can hire a spoken word artist if you can hire um a musician or a singer or somebody like that as opposed to just playing a recording then please do that because 
it is a community of people who have been disproportionately affected. And yeah. That's a really great point on which to end our, our podcast for today. Aaron, thank you. Very sound words. Thank you. I try. <laughs> yeah, always. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.